Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. This morning we are wrapping up our No Matter What series. And uh, for some people that's a relief, for others you're like, give us more, give us more. But we're going to call it a, a day today. What this is for, just to let you know, we've been preaching for the last six, seven, eight weeks on the book of Philippians. And it's a four-chapter book. And I want to encourage you, if you're coming here for the first day or if you've been coming for a longer time and you're yet to actually read this four-chapter book of Philippians, it's shorter than a Time magazine article, the book of Philippians. It's that short. And I want to say, if you haven't read it yet, make this week a priority. Go read it. It'll take you 20 minutes from start to finish just to read it. Study it. Because this is, we really, really believe in this community that if the Word of God is not shaping us, then the world will be shaking us. And we are, I can't say it's, it's more than just a catchphrase for us. We are people who say the highest authority in our lives is the Word of God. Not opinion, not emotion, not sentiment, but the Word of God that stands timeless over our lives. So I want to point you towards that. Maybe you say, I'm not a reader. Well, I want to say, become one. Because the Word of God, as you pour into it, it will pour in so much more into you. The Word of God will read you and will challenge you and shape you and strengthen you for the days to come. So I want to point you to that as we finish the series. But just in case you have been away or you are unfamiliar, one more time, I want to just remind us what the book of Philippians is about in this series in particular, as we've zoned in this no matter what series. There's a man named Paul writing it, and he's writing it in AD 61. He's writing it from a jail cell. This is, and he's not one of your, uh, your people in jail who's a bit of a pen pal. No, no, he's, he's, he's a man who's planted churches, and, and he's in jail for preaching the gospel. He's an enemy of the state. He's a traitor of the Roman Empire. And he's in Roman jail. He's writing to a church in Philippi, which is in modern day around Turkey, that area, Greece, Turkey, the, the gateway city from, from Asia into Europe. And he's writing to a church there who were planted eight years earlier, the first Christians in Europe, who are now also under persecution, who are under pressure for their faith because they are declaring Jesus is, is Lord, which was opposed to what everyone else said, Caesar is Lord. We didn't come up with that phrase, Jesus is Lord. It used to be the phrase of the day that everyone greeting each other in those circles would say, Caesar is Lord. And then comes another counter community who says, yeah, politically, but actually we have a king who's higher than Caesar. And his name is Jesus. And this didn't go well and bode well for, for the Philippian church. They're under pressure because of this. And Paul's writing to them. Some of them are, are losing their jobs. Some of them are starting to have threats against their lives for this, for this underground church. They're starting to bubble and thrive with the, the gospel and the goodness of God. But they're getting nervous for their lives. And Paul writes to them and says, actually, guys, I'm not writing to you just to say, hold on and hold tight. I'm not writing to you to say, just buckle down and, and let's weather this storm. No, I'm writing to you to say, actually, in the face of persecution, in the face of pressure, whether you're in prison or whether you're on, in the palace, whether you're in the valley or you're on the mountaintop, you can have joy no matter what. Soul, deep, satisfying joy. That's what the purpose of this letter is. It's not there to rebuke. It's actually not there even to correct. It's not even there to give us great deep theology. This book of Philippians is there to point us to Jesus, the source of our joy. Beautiful boy, book. And we want to we wanna actually say that's what this series has been about. So this morning, we're going to land it. We're going to read the last chapter together. Is everyone okay for that? A bit of reading this morning. Philippians chapter 4, verse 1 to 23. If you have your Bibles, open it. If not, it'll be on the screen behind me. But we're going to do something we've never done here at Milton. I'm going to ask you to stand, if that's all right. As a congregation, we're going to read it standing. The reason why, in the Bible, often what happened was when, 
when a community gathered and they'd have the public reading of the word, the community would stand. Not, not as a, like a ritual, but as a semblance to say, actually, we're not sitting passively. We're standing and saying our hearts are engaged with the word of God because the word of God, you know where, what happens when the king walks in the room, everyone stands. And this is a moment for us to actually, it's a posture saying, God, our heart is open to hear from your word. Is that all right? Something different. So we're going to read it together. But I'll ask you, as we read, please open your heart. As you're standing in the natural, say, God, my, my heart is standing to attention. This is not just an intro to a 25-minute preach before we get coffee. This is the word of God that I believe can change our lives. Let's read it together. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. Other translations say, stand firm in the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, Euodia and Syntyche, two ladies, great names for kids, Fiona and I are thinking about one of them. Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me in telling others the good news. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me. Everything you heard from me and saw me doing, then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you're concerned about me again. I know you've always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And the same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Father, I pray as we are standing this morning, standing not just out of ritual, not just because a red-headed preacher told us to do it. We do it, God, with our hearts, saying our hearts are standing at attention to your word. I pray, Father God, would your word shape us this morning as a community, shape us as husbands, as wives, as mothers, as fathers, as students, as workers, as, as whatever, God, whatever relationship we get to live under here on earth. But God, mostly and importantly, shape us as your sons and daughters so we may become more and more like your son, Jesus. 
Amen. Amen. Why don't you take your seats? Thank you for that. Very quickly, looking through this text this morning, because I want to get somewhere. The, the, the Apostle Paul finishes and he says, finally, if you go and trace this book, he says, finally, quite a few times. He's like one of those preachers that says, and one last thing. And an hour later, still going. You know? That's Paul. He's that type of guy. So finally, I want to tell you this this morning. Paul says this. He starts chapter 4 with these sort of phrases. He says, stand firm in the Lord. In the series, we started off saying, no matter what, no matter what happens, height or depth, life or death, famine or sword, whatever happens, we are called to a no matter what faith. Not a, not a circumstantial faith, but a faith that is resolute in the face of Christ, what he's calling us to. And, and Paul says, stand firm in the faith. He echoes what he's been saying again and again in this book. Then he gets to verse 2 and 3, and he talks, it gets really personal. He knows this church. These aren't just some people he's heard of or once saw on Facebook and liked some of their pictures and, and, and put a comment on some saying, really looking good. No, no, no. He knows these people so much that he knows them by name. He remembers Euodia and Syntax's name. I don't think you'll forget those names. But uh, he knows them. These are two ladies who helped him pioneer the church and, were, and gave their lives to Jesus in the early days. But now they're fighting. And news has come that they, they are having disagreements among themselves. So he says, I'm appealing to you for the sake of the gospel. I don't care who's right or wrong. Sort out your disagreement. We've got to move forward. Even in relational tensions. He says, no matter what, the gospel's calling us forward. Forget what's behind, strain towards what's ahead. This is this, this incredible gospel he's preaching. Then he gets to verse 4 and 5 that we, we might know if you've grown up in Christian circles. They say, rejoice in the Lord. And he says, we're saying twice. He says, and I say it again, rejoice. And then he says a strange thing that's tagged on the end of that. If you go study it, he says, he says why? Because the Lord is coming soon. It's, it's just a strange little verse that's tucked in there. Rejoice in the Lord. And he says, God's coming soon. And it's not as a threat or it's not as a, as a warning, but he's saying in light of the fact that Jesus is coming back for us. He's not a, an absent father who says, who has some cash, I'm gone, I'll be back someday and never returned. No, he's saying this is, the, this is Jesus who's coming back for a bride. Got to live in light of that, that day. And, and the Greek word Paul uses often, he says, the parousia. He tells him again in, in, in Thessalonians and in Timothy, he says, keep your eyes on the sky because Jesus is coming back. And, and this was 2,000 and so years ago. They were living in light of the fact Jesus is coming back. How much more us, who are much closer than they were, whether if he's coming back in 2,000 years or tomorrow, calling us in light of that, rejoice in the Lord. He goes on and he, he gets to these things and he gives us this recipe for the peace of God. Anyone want the peace of God here? Peace that passes all understanding. He says, here, here's, the, here's your two things. He says, number one, don't worry and pray. That's what, that's what point one in the sermon on, on how to get pieces. Don't worry, pray about everything. So he actually just, it's just like so simple. Like, okay, thanks. Don't worry. I've got many worries. Don't pray. Okay, point one. Then he goes on and says, point two, actually, not only just that, he says, instead of just not worrying and what, what does that mean? Must I just empty myself and not think about anything? No, he says, no, actually, take your thoughts and he says, think on these things, whatever is true, noble, excellent, pure, lovely. It's not like live in a vacuum of, I'm not worrying about anything. I'm not going to look at, it's not like I'm not being realist. Yes, there are problems. Yes, there's trouble. He's actually says, but take your thoughts off the trouble and put them on pure and excellent things. And then the line after says, and then the God of peace will be with you. You want peace? Don't worry. Pray and think on these things. Beautiful. I love it. Paul's really practical. He's getting practical. He's getting like quick here because he knows he's got to get to the end of his letter quickly because he wants to send it off on, on, on his email. No, I'm joking. I, 
didn't have that in those days. Sorry, V don't write that. They didn't have email. But uh, he gets on, he gets this thing. But then we get to the point, portion where I want to move us to today. Verse 10, he starts talking. If you go read the scriptures, beautiful. You start realizing that actually Paul is thanking them for their gifts that he get, they gave him. Paul's in prison. He's sitting there, and I can imagine he's had a tough day. He's been lonely. He's been starving. In, in the Roman jails, they were teeming with people. And, then, and Paul, would, well, they wouldn't care for Paul as well. He's so far away from Jerusalem. He's, he's alone. He's starving. He's been there for a long time. And then what happened was, there's this church called Ma- the Philippian church, who he knew, met eight years earlier. They hear that Paul is in jail. And what they do, they are, were not a rich church we find out that there were, uh, in the scripture, in this text here tells us that they didn't have a lot, but they gave for what they had. And they sent a man, Epaphroditus, one of them, their mates from the church, all the way to Rome to go visit Paul in Rome in his jail cell to bring him food, gifts, and care for him. The Philippian church did that. Paul, you wonder why Paul loves this church, because this church gave more than they had. They gave for the sake of the gospel. They said, we've got to care of this man who cared so much for us. And it's this incredible thing. He's actually saying, thank you. Paul's saying this letter. This is a letter he's writing to him to encourage him in joy, but also say thank you for your partnership in the gospel. It's beautiful. It's not just this airy fairy out there. You over there, I'm here. There's no real relationship. No. He said, I sowed, but now you guys are sowing into me. This is beautiful. It's what Christ called us to do in community. And uh, this amazing thing. But then he gets this beautiful point, and I love it. Paul says, thank you, but just to let you know, I was content in the Lord even before you sent your gifts. Even before Epaphrodites came, even before while I was lonely and in a jail, I was content. Thank you for the gifts. I was hungry. I was cold. So you've helped me with that. But actually inside, in who I am, I was content. He says, I was okay. I don't want you to get the wrong idea that you guys have filled a void in me. No, it's beautiful what you've done. Thank you. But actually I was content in the Lord before. And that's where we get to this beautiful thing, this word called contentment that starts to pop up again and again. And if you re- were taking notes while we're reading it, how many times the word content or contentment popped up? And just what, what one uh, theologian said or commentator said contentment is, if you want to know, it's joy at rest and it's peace in celebration. That's what contentment is. It's not like Paul's going, I was content in my jail, so I'm going, party rockers in the house. And this is awesome. I love jail. How long... It's like a sleepover that never ends. No, 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 no. He wasn't celebrating, leaping around the jail cell, but he was, he was content. And that's joy at rest and peace and celebration. It's a beautiful, beautiful understanding of contentment. Three things about contentment that we learn from this text before we get to our main verse this morning. Number one about contentment, if you want to know what it is, contentment is something that has to be learnt. I don't know if you read, noticed that in the text, Paul said, I have learnt the secret to contentment. This is not like Paul as the enlightened guru or the Yoda. I have contentment. No, no, he said, I learned how to be content. Let me tell it this way. It's not our natural default setting to be content. As hum- humans, humanity, we are not good. We don't start off with contentment. We start off with the depths and have to learn that. How do I, the default setting, if you want to know what that is, it's Fiona and I used to have an old TV set and I'll turn it on and it would be fuzzy. And then I'd have to sit for five minutes tuning it till I get to the AV station. And then this TV channel was on. I was like, beautiful. And I'll just get it. It's brilliant. I'll go get a glass of water and feel come and see the TV's on. Turn it off. And I'm like, Fiona! Turn it back on fuzzy. Default setting. Always goes back to what it was. It knows. But actually, 
we are like that. We, our default setting isn't contentment. We have to learn contentment. How do I know this? From the very beginning, Genesis 3, they're given everything, Adam and Eve. And everything. And, and, and God says, you can have everything. And they go, he says, but not that one tree. And they go, we want that one tree. I like what I've been got, but I want that. And set in motion in all our hearts. Hey, we're all like that. Just one day when I get married, then I'll be happy. Then you get married. Oh, one day when I get kids, then we'll be happy. Then you get kids and you're like, one day when they leave home, then we'll be happy and we can retire. It's a never ending. We're never content or satisfied. Contentment has to be learned. Second thing about contentment is that contentment cannot be dependent on our circumstances. Contentment cannot be dependent on our circumstances because that's just not what it is. As Paul says here, I learned to be content in sickness and health. I got to learn to be content whether I was in plenty or whether I had nothing. But Paul says, not to turn on circumstances. And thirdly, he says, contentment is a struggle in the good times and the bad times. Now, I want to say that again because I think a lot of us think contentment means learning when we're not doing well. Oh, I must just be content. No, no, Paul's actually saying, I learned to be content when I had a lot. And I think sometimes that's the hardest time. Because I knew when I had a little, when I was earning a very small salary, I used to teach guitar to students on a, uh, to, to guy, when I was at university and earn about 50 rand an hour. And then I, at the end of the week, I'd have 200 rand. And I'd be like, I'm the wealthiest man in the world. It's like I can watch a movie. I can, you know, I can pay some petrol, not much. Just enough to keep it off the orange lights. You know, I was like, I can even have a Coke at the movies. I'm so wealthy. And then, you know, when I start earning a little bit more, I'm like, sheesh, you know, if only I had just a little more. It's easy sometimes when you've got little to be content. Sometimes it's harder when you get more. So we've got to learn these things. That's what contentment is about. But then we get to the point when I'm aiming at this morning. Paul says this word. He says, I have learned the secret. Now, that word in the Greek is called weo. Weo. It's awesome. It's like I love the, I'm not a Greek theologian, but I love words that sound cool. I'm like, weo, man. I've learned the weo. It's like, you know, talking to my mate. Hey, I learned the way-o. Hey, oh, I learned the way-o. Anyway, sorry. It's the way I think. The way-o, I think. I've learned the secret of being content. But the actual understanding, why I labor that, the Greek understanding, is because what he's talking about there, it's the sort of translations. I've learned the secret is like the ancient mystical religion, that, that type of thing. It's almost like he's leaning and going, hey, yo, 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 I've, I've learned the way-o. I've learned the secret. It's like the, uh, it's a type of like initiation ritual. You know, like if, like you're going, you want to know how to get in? You want to know how? Come, 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 I'll tell you. It's around the back here. No, I've learned the secret. And in a sense, Paul was saying this. He said, I'm on the inside. I know the good stuff. Come close. I want to tell you the secret of how to be content. And I, I don't know about you. This is amazing for me because this is from a guy who was in prison. This is a guy who was not famous. He was probably infamous. Hated by the, the Roman Empire. Hated by them. Hated by the Jews because he's walked away from their, their traditions to follow Christ. He was infamous, not famous. He was single. Single. Some scholars even say he possibly was a widower. We're not too sure. Paul's earlier life. But, but he was definitely not married when he wrote this. So he's not a man who is... Some people say, no, I'll just be happy. I can't, I can't be happy while I'm single, you know. Just looking for the Mr. Right, yeah. Anyone will do. Fiona was saying it for a long time. Then she met me and she realized it's good enough. <laughs> Thank you for settling. Thank you. Really. 
very grateful. So this morning, I want to ask us a question as we land, is what was that secret? What is that secret? I hope, as he said, I've got the secret to contentment. In my heart, when I read that, I'm like, yes, I want to know, I want to know. And then we come to verse 13, which is Christianity, almost sometimes they post a verse. If you've been around any church for any length of time, you would have seen it embroidered on somebody's t-shirt in the 90s. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You would have seen it in a Christian's coffee cup. Just above their painting that said, let go and let God. Under their Joy Magazine subscription, you know? We're Christians. We know Philippians 4.13. Do you, brother? You know, it's like Christians love this verse, but it goes on. And and actually, it's quoted by sportsmen more than anything. No, suddenly sportsmen are Christian when they win the big game. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, man. Everyone, all the Christians are like, yes. Yes, we've got one on the inside. Good. You know, but it's actually this Matt Chandler, a preacher in America, said he preached the whole book of Philippians just to get to that verse so he could tell America, it's not about sports. <laughs> he said that's the whole point. He not want to get there. But it's, it's huge. And actually this morning, though, I'm not wanting to, I don't want to trivialize the verse because I think sometimes we've lost the power of it because it's become so overly used, stolen, and hijacked by a prosperity movement who've used it as a calling card to God to get, try and get what they want. I can do all things. BMW, come on. And no, 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 no. The context, we got to, that's why context is key. Can I tell you, if you're reading the Bible like this way and just going, hmm, wonder what God's going to say to me today. Hmm. And then you read it and go, Judas went and hung himself. Ooh, don't like that one. Let me try again. Let me try again. Go and do likewise. What? What's God trying to say? No. That's why we've got to read in context. It's important to read in context because this is not a lucky dip. Whoa, wonder what God's got. Because actually the context was Paul's in jail. He's in jail when he gets this crescendo, the ultimate, the finishing, the Everest of the of Philippians, the height of it. He says this, he says, I've learned to be content when I've got nothing and when I've got everything. Because actually I can be content no matter what. Why? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's got nothing about your BMW. It's got nothing about winning the game. And those aren't bad things. I don't actually criticize sportsmen for doing that. Or if you've got a BMW, wonderful. We don't anymore because the head gasket blew. But anyway, <laughs> BMWs for <laughs> the worst car. I'm joking. But I want us to break it down. I want us to redeem this verse. And in a sense, I want to arm us as people. And I'm learning to, to wrestle with Scripture and walk within my own life and apply it to my walk with Jesus and with my family and with those around me, my colleagues, with you and I together. I want to arm us with this secret of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this morning, we're going to break up into four parts. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Everyone all right with that? All good? Happy? Great, thank you. Number one is I can. Because I've heard a lot of times, and I've said it, out of my, I've heard it come out of my own mouth if I'm honest. I've said these sort of things. I can't be happy until I get a raise. I can't be happy or content until I get a new job. You know, how are things going? Ah, the new, I'm looking for a new job. Eh? This one's not great. I can't be happy. Okay? I can't be happy until I get a different boss. Anyone say that? Probably I shouldn't confess that here in the church. <laughs> Anyway, maybe you said this, I can't handle my spouse right now. It's that time of the month. I've, I grew up with uh, three boys, 
And uh, we didn't even know my mom was, was really feminine because she just came to all our sporting games. We didn't actually know about girls. We weren't really good-looking guys either, so we didn't have many girlfriends around. So when I got married, I was like, women are crazy. <laughs> wow. But it's beautiful, Fee. I love it. It's lovely. <laughs> so flattering. It's just interesting, okay? I'm learning. And again, I'm learning. I probably shouldn't have said that. See, I'm learning. We're all in this together. Wow. Love you, Fee. Let's go out for lunch. Okay, cool. <laughs> now you said that. I can't handle my spouse. So I, can't, I just can't handle my kids. I can't handle my situation. Now you said this. I can't get over my addiction. I can't get over what he did to me. I can't get over my fear. I've heard that come out often. But it takes a man from prison, a man who, who literally has been He's put the, the world and humanity has put a giant can't over his life. He can't go anywhere in the physical. But it takes a man in prison to declare that the truth of the gospel starts with, I can. Now, can I tell you, before you come to Christ, I'll, I'll agree with you. You can't do anything. On your own, on your own attempts, on your own efforts, you can't. You'll try and try and try, but you'll fail and fail and fail. But can I tell you, after you come to Christ Jesus, can I tell you, Jesus says this in Corinthians, says actually the promises of God are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Not maybe, not sometimes, not if you're a really good guy. No, in Christ Jesus, they're yes and amen. Heaven is declaring over you and I, you can. How do I know this? Because we have been made new. And I want to labor the stuff because in my heart I forget and I forget it and I forget it. That I have been made new. I've been given a new nature. When I came, when I went under the waters of baptism, I died to myself and I came to, came alive and came up again. And I said, I'm alive to Jesus. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Not, not, not Gabe 2.0, a better version who's trying harder. No, I was dead. Now I'm alive. You and I are now, if we're in Christ, yes, we, are, we, we were dead, now we are alive. Yeah. And I want to tell us this because we forget it, that actually I am no longer a sinner trying to be righteous. In the Father's eyes, I am righteous learning how not to sin. Massive difference. I'm going to say it again because my wife told me to. I'm no longer a sinner trying hard to be righteous. I'm now righteous learning not to sin. It's a massive difference. It's huge. And I tell you, that fundamental difference will change your language from I can't to I can. Let me tell you this again. It's called the great exchange that Jesus Christ came and he became a sinful man so that you and I could become the righteous of God. Not, and, and when Jesus exchanged, he didn't do like a little, a little, a little tradesies that doesn't really work. I'll take your chocolate, sandwich, your chocolate for a peanut butter sandwich. Okay, that's... There and gone. No, this was an eternal transaction that he became sinful man and he took the full weight and penalty of our sin upon him. He took not only the weight and the penalty of it, he took the nature of a sinner. So we could become and take the nature of a son and daughter. This is the great exchange. This is what Martin Luther got kicked out of the church for. This is what the reformers fought for. This is what the gospel declares is that a giant, you can in Christ Jesus. And this is the beauty of the gospel for me. And I, I really for, believe this. This is Paul's lens on life. And this is our lens on life. That actually, if we start understanding the secret to contentment, it begins with, I can. Not I can't. We're going somewhere. Second point is, I can do all things. 
And under this, I, I was just wrestling with this, and I asked myself the question, what is the one thing that puts fear in my heart? What's the one thing that puts fear in your heart? Is it a loss of a job? If I lost my job, oof, I don't know where I'll find a job in these times. Or, or maybe you're saying, my one fear is that we won't have enough money at the end of the month. And it grips and, and, and you play. You wake up in the morning thinking about the cash situation. How if I move money there? Da, 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 da. Or, may, or maybe your one fear is, I hope no one finds out my secret. I hope no one ever finds out my secret life. If that thing was exposed, it would do everything to, to, to move things and, and delete things and hide things and cover up because there's a fear, that anxiety. Or maybe it's the word called something like, I can handle anything, but oh, the word cancer. It's like that word, you know. That I'll tell, I'll tell you, for me, years ago, um, about five or six years ago now, we got a phone call one day from my brother who's a jimmer, who's massive, he's into health, he's, he's living the dream, his dream life, he's gregarious. And we get the phone call and very quietly he whispers to us and says, Mom and Dad, I've, I've got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Like, what? Yeah, the doctor said I've got cancer. And we, we hear that word and, and, and you hear it for other people. And you're like, yeah, I'll pray for you. Suddenly you're like, that word came, that word shouldn't be in our family. How can that word get into our family? Cancer. It's like, became real. And, and then suddenly seeing my parents put the phone down and start weeping as a response. Just because we know, you've heard this, or you know, people die of cancer. And, and we're like, and, and, we, and the strong man went very quiet. My brother who's loud goes very quiet. We couldn't try to get hold of him on the phone, but for about a couple months, you wouldn't hear from him as he went, underwent treatment. And he just, just became quieter and quieter. And, and, and it's in those moments that I remember wrestling with my mom and dad, and, and, and it wasn't through this scripture in particular, but it's the very essence of what I was trying to say, is do we believe that when God says all things, he means all things? Yeah. Or do you think he says all things but not that one. Sorry, I'm out. That one's tough. I'm with you, but you. when your secret gets exposed, that's on you. Or I'm with you, but when, when, when cancer comes, and then we, I can't be content now. How can I be content now? This is, this is bigger than our world. And, and, and I want to tell you, I'm, as I said, I'm no Greek scholar, but I went and looked at this word. It says, I can do all things. Can I tell you what all means? It means all. There's no other meaning. Everything. Absolutely everything. All things. Christ is in it and through it and he's with us. Contentment. I can do all things. Then we get to my, possibly my favorite part of this verse is through Christ. In my Bible I've underlined that part like several hundred times almost before, um, almost into Colossians and Thessalonians through the pages because I'm realizing more and more that this is the power. This is the secret. Paul was saying, I can do all things through Christ, through Him. He wasn't giving us a 10-step program on how to become a better Christian or how to be happier in life. No, no, no. He left that up to the magazine racks and he said, no, no, no. This is the secret. It's Jesus. Didn't think you'd hear that one at church, eh? Surprise. <laughs> Let me tell you, though, it's not a force. How can I be happy or content or joyful in every situation? It's not a force. It's not enlightenment. It's not reaching a, a place of nirvana for some spiritual elite. It's a person, and his name is Jesus. 
Contentment is not there for some guru at the top of the mountain. Contentment is the fact that Jesus, the person, walked down the mountain and came to the bottom for losers like you and me. For apathetic people like you and me. The people who said, I can't get up there. So he says, great, I'm going to come down and I'm going to pull you up and say, you can, come. That's the essence of the gospel. It's through Christ, our power. And I, I, I love this because it's not found in self-sufficiency. Paul's not saying you can have contentment through Christ and if you also get your life in order, young people. No, no, he didn't say that. He actually said, this is the secret. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Puts a full stop. It's not about getting all your ducks in a row. Can I tell you, I think in the Gospels we see Jesus come and say to God, many people, come follow me. And they say, great, but first, I'm coming. It's good. I like what you're saying, Jesus. But first, let me go sell my farm just so I can have some bucks because I know that your disciples aren't the wealthiest guys. So I'm going to sell my farm so when I come, I can play the stock market on the side just to make sure if this thing bombs, I can have. Then another guy comes to Jesus and says, you follow me. He goes, yeah, first, yeah, yeah, cool. But first I need to go, you know, my dad died and my family, so I've got to go bury him put out the snacks at the funeral, you know, I mean, who's going to do the snacks? I've got to be there. And Jesus says these harsh, what seems like harsh words. He says, he says, let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. And at first you're like, whoa, what's going on here? What, what Jesus is saying is, he not, he's not saying that family is bad. Or he's not saying that, that wealth is bad. He's not saying those things at all. But he's actually saying this. He's saying that actually, that this, this thing of following Christ and through Christ is not found it's not, it's not found in detachment. So, you know, like the Stoics. Stoic, Stoicism means like, you know, give it all up. Or, or Buddhists, you know, re- empty yourself and you'll find nirvana. Give, give away everything. Get rid of everything. And, and it's also something we call hipster culture. You know? Yeah, I don't want to save, you know. It's so mainstream. You know? I just want to ride my bike, you know. No, you're only riding your bike because you can't afford a car. Come on, be honest. Anyway, but you know, it's it's nothing new. It's all there. But but I want to say this is it's actually not a form of attachment. He's not saying now your desires are bad. He gave you your desires. He's not a wicked guy. Says he has some desires, but you must never use it. Ah, no. He doesn't do that. He gave us a desire. He says, actually, this is the goal. Pour your desires, pour your drive, pour your ambition into King Jesus. Pour it into him and see what he does with it. The other word you can use is through or is in Christ. He's talking about union. He says, actually, become so attached to Christ Jesus that 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 is your contentment. You're so united with the king and the gospel of the kingdom burning inside of you because this is the mathematical equation. I was standard grade math, so I'm not good at that. So I'm not good at Greek, not good at maths. But here we go. This is the equation of the gospel. Christ plus nothing equals everything. Let me tell you, the problem is, I go Christ plus, yeah, but I need to put some effort in. I need to really try harder. Now we've said that, yes, this thing of following Jesus does take effort. He does say, put it into practice. It's not negotiable, but it's understanding the fundamental element is the fact that my efforts are going to do nothing for contentment if, if, when I try and add them to Christ, as if he's lacking something. I want to tell you this thing. Whenever we try and add something to our pursuit of Christ, we actually, not only are we diluting his power, diluting the secret, we're actually making it null and void. Because Jesus only operates with all in. 
I don't know about you, I, I, I poker, if you've played poker before, there comes those moments where you, where you need to make a decision. Am I going to go all in? Do I really back this hand I've got or am I going to hold something back for a better day? And I think a lot of us, are, are we living in that light? We're thinking, oh God, yeah, Jesus is great, but I'm going to hold something back just in case he doesn't come through so I don't fall flat. When you're saying you'll never live in contentment that way. You'll always be comparing, you'll always be trying harder, but always be falling just short, and you won't live in the content secret that he's called us to. Let me tell you, Jesus was everything to Paul, not just an addendum, not just a Sunday activity. For a man in jail, he'd driven to him that he was writing things such as to live as Christ, to die as gain. Philippians, he says this, he says it again and again. He said in Philippians 3, he says, I want to know Christ. I want to even suffer for him. Because he said, I want to know him. That's the treasure of my life. I can do all things through Christ. Here's the final thing this morning. It says, who strengthens me. Who gives me strength. Now, just to let you know, it doesn't say, who once strengthened me. Past tense. I can do all things through Christ. Who once did it in the past? No, no, no. This is a beautiful thing. It's, this is not past language. This is very present, here and now language. Paul is talking about living, breathing, in and out. Christ. Relationship with Jesus. Can I tell you, this is the essence that we're talking about in this series. And something that I'm driving it for us in, in my heart and your heart is that we have been called to be disciples of Christ. Other words for that is followers. Other word is student, apprentice of Jesus. We've said it again and again. The, the ancient language was saying, may as you follow your rabbi, may you, be, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Following him closely. This is not a, this, this is, this verse is not like a, a lucky charm that we, whenever I'm feeling a little bit down, I can go, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I confessed it, so it must be true. No? Confession is good to, to speak the word to your soul. I'm not saying don't do that, but it's not that alone. It's a person. Jesus. The word must lead us to Him. I want to know Christ. This is not just for me a quick thing so I can get over my troubles and go, good, now I can get on with life. No, when, can I tell you, He is life. He is everything. He is all of it. And I want Him. If I can be honest, I want Him. I struggle with this, but I want Him. That's why I'm preaching this to myself this morning. To remind my wicked heart, my fragile heart, that very quickly erupts and gets angry and gets frustrated and gets sinful, gets discontent. This mind that races away, I'm actually going, no, I've got to fix my thoughts. I've got to preach to myself that I can. I can't handle this at the moment. There's just too much going on, Gabe. These are things that are going in my heart this week, if I'm honest. But that's why the Word of God comes and says, no, quiet boy. You can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens you. Come to the source. Come to me. I want to strengthen you today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you for your daily bread. Daily bread. Not a weekly meal. Not a monthly family top up. No, no. Daily bread. It's come to me. I want to feed you. I want to strengthen you. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. I want to finish with this story. There was a man who, who walked across America, uh, Pete Jenkins, and he wrote the book in 1973. It's an, it's an old story. But uh, he walked across America. It took him five years, 5,000 miles. He went, he went all across America and he carried a 70-pound backpack. 
And, and he carried it as he went along, and, and he, went, he encountered blizzards and snowstorms. He encountered, in these five years, he encountered 40-degree heat. He encountered being attacked by animals. It was a tough time. He was hit by a car on the side of the road once. His dog, who he started off with as a companion, was run over by a car. He was mugged. On one occasion, some young guys driving by, some youths, as they say, some youths were driving past, and they threw a bottle of water into his face. Heavy bottle of water. Years later, as he accomplished this feat and his fame grew, they, they, an interviewer asked him, said, Pete, what was the hardest thing for you as you walked? What was the hardest? Was it the blizzard? Was it the, was it the mugging? Was the emotional thing of losing your dog? What was the tough moment? And he says, actually, you know, that stuff was, was hard, but to the hardest thing was when I got sand in my shoes. He says, why? Because when I started to walk, as if you walk with sand in your shoes, it's just great, slowly great and great and great. Then I'll get blisters. And the pain would not go for days because there's sand in there. Sounds like a trivial thing. Sounds like a small thing. Here's my point that I land this, is that, that actually we need to know these things. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We need to know these things that no matter what, I'll conduct myself in a manner worthy of the gospel. We need to know these things that Christ, to live as Christ, to die as gain. We need to know these things that whatever happens, I'll rejoice in the Lord. We need to know these things for when the storms of life come, when the blizzard comes, when the word cancer comes in and rocks your world, when, when, when brokenness comes, when relationships fail, when people fail you, when sickness comes, when people die, when Blizzards, sandstorms, when cars hit you, when dogs get killed. You need to know these truths. We need to know it. Otherwise we'll be shaken. But what I want to venture today is I actually think that we need to know much, much more in the everyday small things. The sand and the shoe moments. Because if I'm honest, I do very well in those big moments. Some people don't. Maybe it's too different for you. But I can do well because I've grown up with the Word of God in me. Can I tell you where I fail? Is often when I'm feeling frustrated in relationships around me. In the everyday moments where I'm walking and I just get irritated and I, just, I can't do it. I kick out. And no, contentment goes like this. And the Word of God has gone far away from me. And the way I respond is not the way God has called me to. It's in the small things. It's in the addiction that just grips and just slowly. So I've got it under control and just, it just goes in the shoe, in the shoe. It starts to expose and get sore and worse and worse and worse. I've got it under control. It's in the, it's in the emotional stress that you just keep feeling. You never know how to do it. The financial pressure. We need to know in those moments and deal with it in those moments that I can do all things to Christ who strengthens me.